Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Ephesians 5 verse 14, the Apostle Paul, uh, quoting an old poem, says this, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead. It's funny, isn't it? Is it a corpse or is it someone asleep? Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Jesus regularly, by the way, went up to dead people and told them to wake up. Um, and uh, because he, he didn't respect death the way that we do. He understood that, uh, that he was the power of life. He, it was life. And, uh, and so uh, one of the bits of language that I find helpful in seasons like this, people talk a lot sometimes about renewal or revival, but is the language of awakening because it's so profoundly biblical. And when I look at the church... Our church in Mass Road, I look at the church in, in, in Guildford, I look at the church in the nation, I see a, a, a dead body sleeping and something within me, and I believe it's the Spirit of God, says, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead. Remember Jesus to Lazarus, and Christ will shine on you. And that's what we're longing to see. And I believe we're beginning to see this, this rousing, this waking um, Sammy and I had to drive up to Oxford this afternoon. We were driving back. I, Sammy was driving. I fell asleep in the car. And when I woke up, uh, it was just the light was hurting my eyes. You know, that, those times where you're just sort of blinking, trying to get your focus again. And, and I believe God is waking his uh, church in this season. And um, uh, <laughs> um, the New Testament hardly uses that word revival. But it talks a great deal about uh, waking up, about awakening. And um, just some of you, you can zone out at this point. Some will find this really helpful. There's really two views of awakening or revival, the cyclical view and the Renaissance view. The cyclical uh, view, which was championed by uh, people like Jonathan Edwards uh, in the 1700s or or people like J. Edwin Orr, one of the great revival theologians of the 20th century, was that the church is kind of designed to have moments of renewal, revival, awakening. And that's how it works, that, that there's a sort of cycle uh, that goes on. And, uh, it, you know, you have a rhythm of apostasies, uh, apostasy followed by crisis, uh, and then God's people finally humble themselves, turn to prayer, and God delivers them, and there's a renewal moment. And so that, that was, that, that, that's a very common view. And it basically says every now and then the body of Christ needs a big old shot in the arm called uh, awakening. Um, uh, one of the problems with that is that it's clearly not the experience of the New Testament church that seemed to live in a continually awakened state for at least three centuries. And, um, and it's also a bit weird if you're in between a revival. Uh, what, what are you supposed to do? The Renaissance view is that actually um, the church of Jesus Christ is meant to look like Jesus Christ and do the works of Jesus Christ and think like Jesus Christ. 
and that unfortunately there are seasons where the church becomes comfortable with being a lot less than Jesus. And, um, and, and therefore we have to be woken up. We have to, we ha we're not meant to be asleep all the time. And that when uh, we come awake, we are returning to our normal state as the church of Jesus Christ. And so when Robbie says, um, I feel like I've never worshipped before, that's not a nice little moment. That's something of he's designed to worship at a deeper level that's waking up in him uh, as we gather. And uh, the first disciples uh, weren't sitting around waiting for the miracles to wear off and uh, for the blessings to dry up and to, for the church to stop having an impact and to try and find an excuse, for, a theological excuse for why it wasn't happening anymore. They were just like, no, this stuff's true. Jesus has risen from the dead. His spirit is in us. Let's go and do the stuff. And there was great power and great persecution that came uh, with uh, it. And um, this is uh, entirely consistent as well with the way the New Testament describes uh, when it does use the word revival, the nearest uh, similarity that the word has in English is to live again, revive. And uh, that's used in the story of the prodigal son. Uh, the son was dead and is alive again, is, is revived again. Uh, it's used in 2 Timothy to describe a fire that is rekindled. It's used in Philippians 4 to describe a dying plant that flourishes with fresh leaves. You can pick whatever metaphor you like. Uh, a guy called Robert E. Coleman, uh, who's, the Billy, who's um, a professor at the uh, Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College, says the basic idea of revival is always the return of something to its true nature and purpose. In revival, men and women come alive to the life of Christ. And from the standpoint of New Testament Christianity, there is nothing unusual about the revival experience. The idea that revival is something of special times and seasons comes from the inconsistent nature of man, not from the will of God. So I'm just going to now dial in. Some of you, that's totally irrelevant. That's fine. Some of you will be like, okay, that's actually quite helpful framing. Um, let me just dial in with some examples. Now, this is for everyone. The start of the 20th century was undoubtedly the greatest awakening uh, that the world has ever seen. Uh, something incredible happened through the power of the Holy Spirit just over 100 years ago. So between 1900 and 1902, it's estimated that 5 million people gave their lives to Jesus Christ in Europe, North America, Australia, South Africa, Korea, China, and Latin America. That's 1900 to 1902, two years, 5 million. 1904, the Welsh awakening began and just entire communities came to know Jesus and, and empty churches were filled again and there were signs and wonders. Uh, one of the great leaders there was a guy called Evan Roberts. And I shared at the morning services today, one of the fun little stories was the pit ponies down the mines stopped doing their job and the mine owners had to meet to find out why on earth are the pit ponies not doing their job anymore. And they discovered it was because the miners always swore at the ponies and so many had become Christians, they no longer were swearing. And so the pit ponies, bless them, didn't know what they were supposed to be doing. The Welsh Awakening created a kind of domino effect as people around the world, maybe a little bit like the stories from Azusa Street, as, as, as everything began to spread around the world. 
And uh, we find that, so that was 1904. In Norway, it triggered what was described as the greatest movement of the spirit since the Vikings were first evangelized, 1904. In India, the Christian population grew between 1905 and 1906 by 70%, 7-0. In Japan, the church doubled. In Indonesia, the church trebled. You want to talk about the body of Christ waking up. It was waking up in the most extraordinary way in the first decade of the 20th century. And then in 1906, a one-eyed African-American holiness preacher called William J. Seymour started a prayer meeting that triggered one of the greatest moves of the spirit in world history, the Azusa Street prayer meeting. I'm going to talk about that in just a second because it is an extraordinary picture of what happens when the spirit of God awakens the body of Christ. In 1910, in Edinburgh, Scotland, there was a very significant conference. It was called the World Missionary Conference. When the nations came together to ask this question, they were so, there was such a revival movement happening around the world. They said, how could we take the gospel of Jesus Christ to every single tribe and tongue in our lifetime? And they've been accused of great arrogance, but their slogan, one of their leaders was a guy called John Mott, who uh, started the YMCA uh, and won the Nobel Peace Prize, interestingly. Uh, John Mott's slogan was uh, the evangelization of the nations in our generation. And so they seriously, there was such a, a salvation movement happening in the UK and North America and India and South Korea and so on. They said, we now need to turn this out into the proclamation of the gospel. So what's just happened in this meeting is people have started to share about friends coming close to faith and, and opening their heart and that longing in us for people to come to know Jesus. And so something extraordinary was happening. So that's the first decade. And then, of course, all hell broke loose. Of course it would. Because there, there's an enemy who is, lives in mortal terror of the return of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, I'm not coming back until the gospel has gone to every tribe and tongue. And when he sees this kind of outpouring, his rage is released. What does that look like? Two world wars, 1914 to 1918, and 1939 to 1945. And countless thousands who had come to Christ in the Welsh valleys, bled and died in the French trenches. The three great nations at the heart of the Edinburgh Missionary Conference were Germany, America, and the UK. And within four years, those three nations had begun destroying one another. You want to talk about spiritual warfare? This is it on a global geopolitical scale. Any of you who've seen that Oscar-winning movie, All Quiet on the Western Front, understand what hell looks like as heaven was breaking out. So the, the stakes are high. There is an enemy, and there is a God who, by his Spirit, is awakening the church. I'm not saying that as we cry out for the Holy Spirit, terrible things are going to happen, but I'm just saying there is a certain sobriety that's appropriate. So let me finish this little message about the awakening of the church by giving you one gorgeous Beautiful example. So it was the 14th of April, 1906, that William J. 
Seymour. Started a 24-7 prayer room in a back street of Los Angeles called Azusa Street. And in there, it was a handful of them at first. In fact, they began meeting not in Azusa Street, but in Seymour's home. And then uh, they outgrew that. So many people desiring more of the spirit that they then moved and rented out this place on Azusa Street. And after a while, there were hundreds and hundreds coming through. Um, it was a, a black-led movement, but it was multiracial. And um, there was scandal in the newspapers because people were, you know, worshipping and they were falling over and it's men and women and black and white together. Uh, and it was all night and all day. And you can, it's fascinating. Google it. You can see the newspaper headlines, the accusations against them. But what was actually happening was the Spirit of God was being poured out in an extraordinary way. Today, it is estimated there are 584 million Pentecostal and Charismatics in the world. And that is uh, the fastest growing religious movement on earth. And all of them, directly or indirectly, trace themselves back to Azusa Street. Without that one-eyed African-American, William J. Seymour, uneducated, the second of eight children raised in extreme poverty, relatively uneducated, one of the greatest Christian statesmen of all time. They trace themselves back there. Without that, there's no Toronto Blessing, there's no Vineyard, there's no uh, Pentecostalism, AOG, uh, Elim, wherever you look. There's no Alpha, there's no New Wine, there's no Matt Redman, well there is, but you know what I mean. Incredible what happened as they saw God. Listen to these accounts, and if this doesn't move your soul, I don't know what will. This is a first-hand account of one of the, uh, you know, of the one of the prayer times in Azusa Street. Brother Seymour—they like to call each other brother and sister back then. Maybe we should bring that back. Uh, brother Seymour generally sat behind two empty shoe boxes, one on top of the other, and he usually kept his head inside the top one during the meeting in prayer. There was no pride there in that old building with its low rafters and bare floors. This is the great spiritual statesman of the century, arguably, and it was all breaking out as he knelt with his head inside an old shoe box in Los Angeles. In a short time, God began to manifest his power and soon the building on Azusa Street could not contain the people. Now the meetings are continuing all day and into the night and the fire is kindling all over Los Angeles and the surrounding towns. Proud, well-dressed preachers are coming in to investigate and soon their high looks are replaced with wonder and then conviction comes and very often you will find them in a short time wallowing on the dirty floor asking God to forgive them and make them as little children. I want you to notice, and I've already touched on this, but at its core, Pentecostalism was maybe the original Black Lives Matter. It was diversity led uh, by uh, the son of emancipated slaves in America. And uh, you want to know today why you, know, you can get you know, Stormzy one moment and a 
a black premiership footballer the next, and uh, you know, a Kardashian the day after that, testifying to their faith. It's partly because Pentecostalism captured the heart of, uh, of black culture on that day and in that way. And so um, we want to we want to think about uh, race and the day when because see the thing is they look back to the first Pentecost and they knew the Spirit of God was poured out on all flesh and on all different tongues. They understood that this is our inheritance, the Spirit of God uniting us, making the body of Christ a prophecy that differences can be united, differences can be celebrated when Jesus is at the heart, helping us to love one another, forgive one another, enjoy one another, and live in greater security. And one day, Philippians 2 says, when Jesus returns, every tribe and tongue will bow the knee, and there'll be this gorgeous chorus, all the different foods, all the different languages, all the different music, all the different cultures with their unique contributions coming together for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what we touched on the day of Pentecost, the reverse of Babel, the Tower of Babel, where division was sown between uh, cultures and at the coming together of cultures. And so this is... Um, this is, this is the most beautiful awakening uh, message, and we see it uh, there. What is God's strategy for awakening his church? It is the Holy Spirit filling his body with his breath. Remember how God created humans? Fistful of dust, and then whoo, breathed his ruach, his spirit, and life. When someone dies, the body's still there, but the ruach, the breath, has left them. And so when God wants to revive his church from a fistful of dust, he breathes his spirit into his church by filling the church with himself. We start to look like him and sound like him and do the things he did. That's what the world needs to see. The church looking like Jesus Christ. How does that happen? By us being filled with his spirit. So we're just going to uh, just invite the spirit of God who's already moving in this room to come and, and baptize us uh, afresh. On uh, Friday night, uh, Natalie Stafford-Williams had a dream in which she saw um, this, like she said, it, it was weird. There was like a vacuum in the building, and everyone ran out. It was like there was going to be an explosion. There was this fear, and she said, "But then what I saw is people standing outside, and there was this explosion. But it created incredible beauty." She said, "I saw fire on some people's heads, tongues of fire. I saw like glitter and sparkling effects on others. I saw, saw water flowing out of others, and there was this." this just outpouring of the Spirit. And she said, I believe God is saying there's going to be an explosion. Don't be afraid. It's going to release great beauty in your midst. Jesus says that the Father loves to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. That's Luke 11, verse 12. The Apostle Paul commands us, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's because we leak. We have to keep being filled with the Spirit. And so 
um, we thought last time about holiness and getting our hearts right. Today we're thinking about the church waking up. Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine upon you. There's no greater need in this hour than the church starts to look like Jesus and sound like Jesus. Do the works of Jesus. And how does that happen? Through the Holy Spirit filling us afresh. And so, uh, is that okay? Great. Let's stand together, shall we? So we're just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. Jesus says the Father loves to send his Spirit. The Apostle Paul commands us to be filled. And so we're going we're gonna to do this. We're going to respond. We're going to invite the Spirit to come and fill us and go deep within us in new ways. And not just as individuals, but as a church. And we represent the body of Christ here in this region of the world. So we're going to invite for a fresh baptism of the Spirit. Not just in this room but in St. Saviour's and yeah. in Millmead and all the different churches in this area. We, we long for the Spirit of God to come and revive us. Amen? Amen? We don't actually need more Christians. We just need Christians to be Christians. And then there'll be more Christians, if you see what I mean. So, um, so it may be helpful just to open your hands. And one of the things we've got to learn to do is just ask and then wait and expect. So something is about to happen. The Spirit of God is about to come and move. That's just what God loves to do. So Spirit of God, we invite you. Come, Holy Spirit, in our midst. Move in this room. Fill us afresh. Baptize us. Bring us alive in every part where we are sleeping. Would you wake us? Every part where we're dead, would you revive us, we pray. Spirit of God, come. And I just receive. Receive from the Spirit. encourage anyone here who's not received the gift of speaking in tongues, just quietly ask for it and then begin just to speak out. It'll release your tongue. Thank 
come release the gift of tongues in this room. Thank you, Lord. Go deeper, we pray. Go deeper, we pray. Yes, Jesus. More of you, Lord. More of you. God's pouring out new wine, new wine in this room. Just, I just see um, fresh joy being poured out on some of us. There's been such a heaviness upon us. Just see there's a lightness coming, just a lightness coming. Fresh joy. Come, Spirit of God, minister. simple picture but I just see like a dried out old sponge and I just see water beginning to just soak it again I just see areas in some of us that have been dry and hard just being softened so easy so natural it's not difficult so we learn just to wait and to receive this is not part of a program this is a moment of encounter this is between you and God so come Holy Spirit more of you we pray Go deeper.
really clear picture of um, like a yoke, you know, like a wooden yoke. I just see it shattering on someone's shoulders. And, uh, you know, obviously the Bible talks about, you know, being yoked with Jesus and all that. I'm not talking about that. But I believe there's someone here that there's a... You're yoked in a particular context and it's been absolutely like pressuring you and controlling you. Uh, this is not about marriage. That is a covenant. And that's a pastoral conversation. There's some other form of yoking that's going on. And the Lord just wants to break that yoke that has been controlling and draining you. You've been trying to make it work, but it's been just depleting you and exhausting you. And, and uh, almost you felt like you've been walking in circles. And I just see that breaking tonight, that power it's had over you. So who, who, who's that for? You don't have to say what it's about, but who, who's that for? There's, a, there's just an... Okay, that's great at the back. So there's two or three people. Just keep your hands up. Guys, get around. The, when the Lord speaks, it's to, it's to do something. So now you guys are praying. for the, There's a gentleman at the back there. Just take authority and break that yoke in the name of Jesus. You don't even need to know what it is. Just break that yoke. someone else there wanting prayer just make sure if there's anyone near you with a hand up you just minister to them been with us over the past couple of weeks, you would have um, just heard Pete use the word birthright just a few different times. And just as we were praying, I was just getting this sense of like this moment, this Pentecost is pouring out of the Spirit. Yeah, that's our birthright. And if we want to know what that looks like, we just need to rewind and let's just look back at what happened in Acts. So Acts 2 verse 14, it's when Peter gets up and he speaks to the crowd And he says, this is what was spoken by the prophet. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit. And they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of our great of the great and glorious day of our Lord, and everyone who calls on the name will be saved. So, so as our birthright, the, this pouring out of the Spirit is something that we have access to right now. And we read young men seeing visions. If you're a young man in this room, I'm not going to put an age on that. <laughs> you see some visions, dreaming dreams prophesy sons and daughters prophesying in the name of our Lord that's what we're called to that's our birthright and this, there's, there's a lot in this room right now of people who have 
I think there's prophetic words and there's, there's words from the Lord in this room. And I just, if you've got a word or a picture that might be for someone, I just want to like encourage you, come and find myself. I'll be down here. Pete's down here. Come and find someone. We just want to open space for, for those to be shared. We want to open space for that to come out. And so let's just continue to wait in this moment. Let's continue for the... Let's continue to wait for the Spirit to move in those people that He's moving with. Let's continue to be expectant for prophecy, for visions, for dreams, for wonders in heaven and signs here on the earth below. So come and find, if you've got a word or a picture or a prophecy that you just want to share this evening that might be for someone or for us as a church, come and, we want to hear that. So come and find us in a moment. But we're going to wait. Just, let's just leave this space. And we'll, we'll get to them in a second. Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, as Pete mentioned, I had a dream that I shared um, with him this week and um, wanted to just share it this evening with you all um, because I really feel like it's for us as a church. Um, it started at wildfires for me in 2018, so five years ago, and God spoke to me and he said um, that there was a mental health crisis going on in our society, in our country, and that we as the church have the tools. Um, we know the freedom that we have access to through the Holy Spirit in our minds and that there is this crisis going on and that we need to be doing something about it. And after that, I went through um, some time of kind of pursuing that. I prayed for people at every opportunity I could. Um, and I just started reading the Bible, reading what the Bible says um, about that. The Bible says so much about freedom that we have access to in our minds and the renewal that comes from the Holy Spirit in our minds. And um, I myself was battling OCD and anxiety at the time. And I was praying and I was praying. I was having therapy, which was amazing. At a time, I was on medication, which was also really helpful. And then in January 2021, I had what I can only describe as a renewal of my mind. These Bible verses that I've been reading for years suddenly meant something different to me. They didn't just, they weren't just words on a page. They spoke to my soul, to my heart. And I just knew that there was this freedom that I had access to through the Holy Spirit. And I just was, began to live out of that freedom. Um, and I have done ever since. I've had times when um, I've struggled with my mental health, but it's never been back to that point because of the hope and the freedom and the truth that I now know. Um, and a few weeks ago, I had a dream um, that I feel was a prophetic dream from God where I was walking through Guildford and I was walking along the river and there were bodies of men hanging 
from the trees along the banks of the river. And everyone was walking past, not moving them out of the way, and no one was acknowledging what was happening. And I was so confused. I couldn't understand it. And I went to the boathouse, and I spoke to the man who worked at the boathouse, and I said to him, what is going on out there? And he said, well, you know there's this crisis going on. And he said, and he, he said but, but no one got to them in time. They didn't know where to go. And they just couldn't cope anymore. And I woke up and I said to God, what are you saying to us as a church? And I was reading last week that one in four people in this country in England will have a mental health crisis this year, one in four. And that the demand for mental health services is far outpacing the resources that we have available right now. And that more than one in four under 25s try to take their own lives after seeking support and due to the waiting time to then get that support, more than one in four. And I felt there was such an urgency about this. And I felt God... Um, First of all, saying that we must respond in prayer, that we must be praying in this situation. And I was reminded of a few years ago at a kingdom come on the top floor of the lighthouse that Emmaus was hosting and Mike Crown, who many of you will know, was leading the service. And he got up to the microphone and he said, Lindsay has a word from God that she's going to share. And at that point, I'd heard nothing from God. I had no word but I know Mike has the gift of the prophetic and I trust that God was speaking through him. So I got up and as I'm walking towards the microphone, I'm like, God, give me something. And it's just silence. I have nothing. And the second I picked up that microphone, he just said mental health healing. And I said, I want to I offer to anyone who wants to receive healing for mental health. And at the end of the service, a girl came forward and she was basically carried by her friends. Her, she didn't look up once. She was shaking. She was crying. And her friends just said she needs some prayer. And nothing spectacular happened. I just said, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Bring freedom. Just come Holy Spirit. And this girl left that evening. And a few weeks later, just outside this building here, she came running up to me and I didn't recognize her. And I don't mean that metaphorically. I actually didn't recognize her for a few moments when she was talking to me because of the transformation that the Holy Spirit had done inside out. And she said to me with this huge smile on her face, she said, I cannot believe what has happened to me since that night. She said, the night before kingdom come, I tried to take my own life. And on the morning of kingdom come, I was in hospital waiting to be discharged. And I found out kingdom come was on. And I said, God, this is it. I'm going to go to kingdom come and I need you to do something. And Emmaus put on that event on a midweek on a Wednesday. Mike Crown heard from God and stepped out in faith. I stepped out in faith and then I heard from God. Those friends of that girl heard what I shared and they knew it was for their friend and they brought her forward. They carried her forward and she came to Kingdom Come that night in faith and she asked God to do something. 
And when I had this dream the other week, I just was like, man, we all need to be doing this. We all need to be praying for this breakthrough of the Holy Spirit. When we hear about people who are struggling, prayer should be the first thing we turn to because there is power. There is so much power in the Holy Spirit to transform our minds. And the second thing I felt God saying is that the church needs to step up and be the resource at the moment during this crisis. And there's some of us who, following this, are going to be meeting, we're going to be praying, and we're going to be looking at what can the church do urgently, practically. So I encourage you to be praying. And if you feel God says anything on this, please come forward and share it with us as soon as possible. We just need to know, we need to be hearing from God on this. Um, And so there's just two things I want to just do in response to that. The first is to say that I would absolutely love to pray for anyone here this evening who has heard that and wants to receive prayer, wants to receive that transformation from the Holy Spirit, that those words in the Bible that we know are true about the freedom we can walk in, that they would come alive for you tonight and in your heart. And the second thing I want to do is just say that if you hear this and you feel that you want to take this and you want to take it back to your university, that you want to be walking into your work, in your families, in your friendship groups, I just really want to pray that you would receive this calling and that we would be equipped. So if that's you and you hear that, I just want to encourage you to hold out your hands and I'm just going to pray. Father God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you that because of the cross that we do not have to live bound by chains, but we can live in true freedom here on earth. And I just want to pray that you would be speaking to everyone here. I pray for a fresh outpouring of the gift of discernment. The gift of wisdom to know where to go and who to speak to. To know the words to say. To know how to support people. For a fresh outpouring of the gift of the prophetic. That we would hear from you, Lord. And for an increase in faith to step out, to not wait. That when we hear you moving and we see you moving and we see people in crisis, Lord, that we would step out in faith. I just pray for fresh signs, Lord, signs and wonders that we would know how you want us to respond to this. Come, Holy Spirit. Okay, so incredibly powerful word. We're going to do a little bit more responding now, and then there's there's going to be all sorts of things we're going to need to do to respond to that word. Let me just be really clear about something senior pastor of this church we believe in both and not either or approaches to healing mental, physical whatever we believe that God is in medicine we believe God is in um, clinical care 
And we also believe that because human beings are spirit, as well as just body and mind, that we must care for people and help people find freedom spiritually as well. And so we believe in both and. And what we find is that sometimes God does extraordinary miracles that just bring breakthroughs. And Lindsay's told her story of that, and we've seen that many, many times. That many of the things get treated clinically are actually profoundly spiritual. But we're not of a mindset to say, well, you know, just pray a lot and everything will get sorted because sometimes we need clinical care. I see my own wife there who's a professional counselor at the back there. I see Eric and Rebecca Jesperson here who pour their lives out in binding up broken hearts and helping people with all sorts of challenges. So I want to be absolutely clear, we believe in both and. That means we're more committed, not less, to the supernatural. And um, so, uh, first of all, those of you here who uh, uh, sense a, a stirring, a calling to help respond to this crisis, I mean, that's such a distressing dream. Men's bodies just hanging along the river there. But the truth is, as Lindsay's reminded us, there are people utterly desperate all around us, women as well as men. And we must, as the people of God, work out how to respond, whether you're on a university campus or whether you're on a housing estate or wherever you are. And so um, at one level, we're all called to this, but I know there will be people here who already are engaged on the absolute front lines of uh, uh, trying to respond to this crisis, or you're sensing a real calling, a stirring to engage, to, uh, as Lindsay has been from wildfires, or maybe even to retrain. We have a disproportionate number in Emmaus of people who are trained up as psychiatrists and Christian counselors and so on. I mean, a far higher ratio than any normal church. And we believe there's something God's calling us into here. So just that we'd love to pray for those of you who called into this field. So just raise your hand if, if that's you. Obviously, Sammy's one of them. See your hand up, darling. That's good. Um, uh, just keep your hands up. Those of you just sensing you are working this field or you're feeling called into it, great. Guys, I want you to gather around those with their hands up, and I want you to pray Isaiah 61 over them. Whatever comes, the Spirit of the Lord is on you to bind up broken hearts and so on. Just go and pray for them to be equipped by the Holy Spirit to do this.